Well, remember, in our little beginning intro, we did the book of Revelations, which Pastor was talking about, and Revelation was the transition from the kingdom going from the church back to Israel. And Acts is that book that trans is the transition from the kingdom from Israel to the church. And we're, how many know right now we're in the age of grace? This is the dispensation of the church. We're in the church age. And God deals with humanity a lot different in this age than he will in the one to come. Amen. And um, we're studying the book of Acts. And remember, Acts is written by Luke. It's kind of like Luke's gospel part two. There's really kind of like five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Uh, I don't know why the publishers decided to call it the Acts of the Apostles, because really it centers around probably three main apostles. But it's really, I like to call it the Acts of the Holy Ghost. Amen? It's the Acts of the Holy Ghost. And we are still, as the church, in the book of Acts. You know? And we are in the book of Acts right now. We're living in it. It has This book hasn't finished because we are the church still are moving in the Holy Ghost. Amen? And even though uh, Acts has 28 chapters, we're in, we're continuing chapter 29. Amen? And uh, that's where we're at right now. And so Luke was writing this book, both the gospel and Acts, as a a written record um, to Theophilus, who was a magistrate in Antioch of Syria, where Luke is from also. And many Bible commentaries believe that this was a, a treatise of preparation for Paul's trial. And, you know, they had to have a written record if you were going to be tried. You know, you had to have a written record of events that occurred. And I love Luke because it's a very methodical. Um, and if you haven't read the Gospel of Luke all the way through, um, it's really neat to do the comparison of the Gospels. The harmony of the Gospels is a great study. And, um, and so he was writing it to Theophilus, who actually became a great leader in Antioch. Um, Theophilus, I like to say, it comes from the word Theo and lover of God. So a lover of God is what Theophilus means, and I like to put my name right there. How many love God tonight? Amen. Well, if you love God, this book's for you. Amen. And so, uh, and, and we finished off in chapter one, and we started off in chapter two. Verse one says, and the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord. Now, the all there was 120 and we talked about how five, Paul records in Corinthians that he was seen by over 500 witnesses, but only 120 decided to do what Jesus said. About, somebody shouted out last week, about 24%, 25%. So roughly about 25% of the people that actually saw Jesus raised from the dead decided to do what Jesus said. And that's about right. You know, in the parables of the sower... You know, out of all the ground that, fe- that the seed was sown on, there was about 25% out of all the ground that actually bear fruit. Amen? And uh, right now, you know, we're living in a day where narrow is the way that leads to life. Amen? And broad is the way that leads to destruction. 
It's a narrow way. And we all must choose to go through that path. It's not the popular road. It's not the easy road. Amen. And, uh, and obviously these other 380 people or whatever it was and decided that, you know, they had other business. They had a field to plow or they had a relative to bury or they had a business to tend to. Instead of going and waiting and tearing at Jerusalem like the Lord instructed. Now, Jesus walked with the disciples for 40 days, it says in chapter 1. And we know that Pentecost was 50 days from, past, from first fruits to Pentecost is 50 days. Jesus rose from the dead the day after uh, the, uh, he rose on the first fruits. All right? So 50 days from that is Pentecost. Well, he was with them for 40 on the earth, so they were tarrying in Jerusalem for about 10 days, give or take. All right? And so it's not a whole long time to wait, especially if Jesus walked right through the wall. I mean, he disciples are sitting there. Jesus comes walking through the wall, doesn't use the door. So he's got a body that can pass through physical structure and that yet has dinner with him, eats a meal, has a fish sandwich. Somehow or another, he can pass through a wall, eat a fish sandwich, and still commune as if he has heavenly and earthly. He transcends earth and heaven. All right? So I don't know how he passed through a wall, but yet the fish sandwich didn't like fall through his body and hit the ground. That's the heaven and earthly realm combined together. And this body we will have, praise God. We will descend from heaven to earth, the vision of Jacob's ladder that he had, amen? We will do that in a new body, praise God, but how many know he's given the church the authority to exercise that realm right now, amen? amen. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It is now, praise God. We're not waiting. We're exercising his dominion and authority now. So these guys... 120 of them are waiting, and it says, in the day of Pentecost, fully comes. So 50 days from the resurrection of Jesus, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty wind. Now, bear mo a rushing wind, a rushing mighty wind, as a rushing mighty wind. But it was the sound that came, and the sound was as of a mighty rushing wind. So loud that it says that it was sounded abroad and it brought the multitudes to where they were gathered. So this was a loud sound. You know, have you ever been, you ever watched those videos? Anybody ever been in a tornado? How loud is it? I hear it always sounds like a freight train, you know, or you listen to the, those winds that hit the uh, coast of Florida. The sound is tremendous. And these guys, when they heard the sound, the city's like, what is that noise? And so it brought the multitudes to them. And it says, it filled all that was in the house. Everybody say all. all. Were some filled? All were filled, amen? All were filled, praise God. 120, praise the Lord. I don't know how many we've got in here tonight, but I know that God's Holy Spirit fills all of us. Amen? 
His power and his desire and the Holy Spirit's ability to touch each and every one of us with his power is present. It says all of them had cloven tongues or a flame of fire over their head. You know, so everybody had a name and everybody had a flame. Amen. Say, my name has a flame. And it does. Now, when the Holy Ghost fell, it says in verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it says, then there were men, we know that there were devout men from all over Judaism because Pentecost was one of three feasts where all able-bodied men were required by the Mosaic law to attend, all right? So this, the city was crowded. And so these men, it says in verse 6, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language, all right? So these guys, they're coming and they hear their own language. And they marveled, verse 7, saying one to another, behold, are not all of these that speak Galilean? So a couple of things I want you to underline here. First of all, in verse 4, it says, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So who gave the utterance there? The Spirit gave the utterance, all right? The Spirit gave the utterance, which that word utterance is a word for a, um, a higher discourse, all right? Um, there's a place where when Paul goes into the synagogue and they, and they ask him if he has a few words to say, and they say, speak on. It's an elevated speech. It's like a, a, a discourse of importance, all right? And so these guys... They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Their, their mouth, the physical mouth and vocal cords were making sound, but the words, the language, the discourse came from the Holy Ghost, all right? And it's important to note this because it says there that every man heard them speak in their own language. They heard their own language, but the Holy Spirit gave the utterance. And this is important to, uh, to stress this because a lot of people, a lot of denominations and people have been taught that what happened here is that the men learned to speak a foreign language. These men were not having words and then like when pastor goes down to Mexico and he says he actually can conversate better in Spanish, he's told me, than he can actually preaching in Spanish because it's different. It's just different. That's why when he gets under the unction of the Holy Ghost, he likes to just speak, and then usually there's an interpreter. And it's totally different preaching under the unction of the Holy Ghost and trying to translate in your head. Something gets lost in translation because the Holy Spirit is giving utterance. Amen? And so a lot of people try to say that what they were doing was they were just speaking a foreign language, and they were translating and that's not what was happening because they were, their minds were not involved here. That's right. Their spirit was involved. 
See, if you're doing a translation, and this is what messes you up when you're preaching out of the unction, is you're now having to think with your mind, and you're, and you're, you're, you're disconnected from your spirit. So don't let anybody try to convince you that what was happening here was a bunch of guys got filled with the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden, you know, got a crash course in Babel or some foreign language because that's not what, that's not as what, what is happening here. They were all confounded, it says. They were confounded. Look at verse 7. Then they were amazed, all right? Now go over to uh, flip the page there, and it lists all the different nations that were, that were available there, and they were, they were saying in verse 8, we hear every man in our own tongue. They did the hearing, but the Holy Spirit did the speaking. And then they say in verse uh, 12, they were in doubt. And then verse 13 And then they mocked, others mocked, saying, these men are full of new wine. So they accused them of being drunk, having too much to drink. So they went from being confounded, amazed, and then they begin to be in doubt, and then they begin to mock, all right? And I want you to underline those because this is the trans, this is how, uh, this is the path of unbelief. It's a progression of unbelief. If somebody... If you see a miracle, it usually amazes you. And there's a moment there where faith comes. But then what happens is when the doubt tries to come in, people then grab onto the doubt. And what happens is then to cover up their doubt, they begin to mock or they begin to come up with reasons why this is not right or this is not true. And this is the way, this is the way you know, a lot, of, a lot of organizations, they preach the miracles and the signs and wonders right out of the church because they were amazed, but then they begin to doubt. And once they begin to doubt, that's when they begin to mock, all right? Now, I find it amazing here that they were confounded because what the Holy Spirit is doing here started way back in Genesis chapter 11. Let's go there for a minute. Genesis chapter 11. Say amen when you're there. It says here in verse 1, keep your finger in Acts there, don't lose it, because we're going to be flipping back and forth a bit. It says, now the whole earth was of what? One language. Just a little bit ago, they were talking about, we hear all these different languages. But there was a time when the whole earth spoke one language and were of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found the plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. That's modern day Iraq. And they said one to another, let us get some bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had slime for mortar. All right, so they begin to start a construction project here. And they say in verse 4, here's the purpose of that construction project. Go and let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven so that we will make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad from the face of the whole earth. So the motive there 
was making a tower that would exalt themselves. And you see that. You see that in church history. You also see that in secular history. I remember you've heard me tell the story when I was flying into Manhattan from Cincinnati. We came over the north part of New York, and it was so beautiful. For some reason, I could actually see the river coming down the hill and just the, the landscape, and it was gorgeous, the, the, the view from the airplane. And then all of a sudden, from a distance, I saw what appeared to be gray thorns coming from the earth. And as I got closer, I realized it was Manhattan. But from the heavenly perspective, man's brick and mortar and slime, it, to God, looks like thorns coming out of the earth. And that's exactly what it looked like. But you get down there on Broadway, and you and man is... Oh, what a beautiful structure. Oh, look at this. And it's all to the glory of man. All right? Now, in, you know, during the church age, we have great cathedrals that were built, and they say to the glory of God. Now, there are some places that you can go to that are built, and they're pretty impressive. And you think, I feel God's presence here. But there are some cathedrals that I've been in in Europe, and they feel like one giant mausoleum full of dead men's bones, and you can tell that that thing was built for man's glory and not God's. And man, when he is trying to create a name for himself, always builds a structure. And this has been throughout human history, and you can see the ziggurats in all through around the globe. Every, every cultish religion, uh, you know, devil worshipers, people that are into human sacrifice, they build these huge ziggurats, you know, the Incas and all these different civilizations. Israel, the land of Canaan, was full of these things, and God wanted his people to go in and destroy those things because they're evil, because they exalt man instead of God, and when man builds structures to always exalt himself, eventually man is going to suffer. To the point where they start sacrificing their children. And God hates that when the innocent are sacrificed. Amen. So they're building this thing and it's got God's attention. Because they, this is not divine inspiration here. In verse 5, Genesis chapter 11 says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said... Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So what God is saying is they're speaking, they're moving the same place, they're going the same way, they're speaking the same way, they have the same imaginations, and nothing's going to stop them. They will accomplish their goals. If something isn't done, well, what's God going to do? He's not going to send another flood because he already promised Noah back in six. He's not going to destroy the human race anymore. Okay, so that that's not going to happen. And but something's up. They're up to no good. In chapter six, it says the Lord said, my spirit will not always strive with man. All right. And then it says later on, it says they are. Where's that place where it says there was constant evil Imaginations. Let me find that real quick. Um, 
Verse five, thank you. Genesis 6, 5, a couple pages over, it said, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. So this is the imagination that it was going to be unstoppable that God saw as man was building this tower. And it's not just that they had a bad thought every now and then. You know, sometimes you drive down the road and when that guy cuts you off, you have a bad thought, don't you? No, I'm not talking that kind of stuff. I'm talking, it says, his thoughts were evil continually. Every waking minute, man thought evil. He had no concept of God whatsoever. And this is the mindset of these people that were building this tower. And so back to 11, it says, verse 7, notice the trinity of God here. Go and let us go down. Let us make man in our image. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's been that way since the beginning. You don't have to understand it. You just need to believe it because it's in the Bible, amen? The Trinity is all over the scriptures. And here is a plural word, let us go down. And there he did what? Confound their language. He confounded their language that they would not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Or they finished building. And he said, well, I, give me the bricks. What? Get, go get some more bricks. I don't know what you're saying. Bricks, please. More bricks. Ah, forget it. They just move on. And so the Lord, you know, the language was confounded. Interesting that the same way that the, they were confounded in Genesis 11 is the same way they were confounded when God was bringing the church into one new language, the language of the Spirit. And the devil hates the language of the Spirit. And he will do anything to get you to stop speaking the language of the Spirit, to get the church to stop speaking the language of the Spirit, to get everybody to stop speaking the language of the Spirit. Because God confounded one language and sent, turned them into many languages so they would stop an evil work. But God has given us one language of the Spirit that we may set our hands to a righteous work, a good work, a work to build his kingdom, amen? One language of the Spirit. And so Paul teaches us in Ephesians, our baptism, it's one Lord, it's one Spirit, it's one baptism, amen? It's one there has been a unity that is brought into the church by one spirit. Now, there are many churches around here. Many of you have relatives and friends and churches all over the city here. But we're one spirit. Does it mean that we have to get together and do the same, you know, projects? No. You've got a work to do. I've got a work to do. But we're of the one spirit. Our job is to build the kingdom, amen? amen. You know, you don't see Ford with Christ or saying, hey, you know, uh, why don't we just collaborate here and let's build a car together? No, Ford's got a job, Chrysler's got a job. You know, you do your job, I do my job, but the main goal is we're moving people, amen? amen. And that's the way our attitude should be. Church on the hill, you do your job, we do our job. One spirit, one language of the spirit, building the kingdom, Amen. And what happens is, is when people start trying to get crazy and thinking that it's all about them, what happens is, is he scatters. And you can see that as the Catholic church got too big, boom, God said, let's do some scattering. 
created the Reformation. And then the Reformed got goofy and they started doing weird things. And God said, they started, you know, having conflicts about the, the communion. And God said, well, okay, let's do some more scattering. You know, if you refuse to do what God's called you to do, he'll cause a scattering. He told the disciples in chapter one, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And what they do, they said, James, you're the brother of the Lord. Let's just camp out here in Jerusalem. No, I don't want you to camp out here in Jerusalem. What happened? Here comes Herod, persecution. All of a sudden, we've got to get out of here. We're going to die. What happens? They got into Samaria. They got into the uttermost parts of the earth because they were running for their lives. You know, the devil has tried to kill the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. Persecution, man, persecution, the blood of the martyrs, the blood of the saints, it increases the church, amen? It strengthens the church. History proves that. So these guys, you know, and you can find a parallel here with chapter 11 in secular church history. Now, remember we taught a while ago that in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, there are professors and there are possessors. Amen. You want to be a, possess a possessor. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. It's in your hands. You have it. You possess it. Many people profess it, but they don't possess it. it, it's, it you know, it's in their mouth, but they, they're, they're, there's, no, there's no activity. There's no action. There's no proof. All right? And so I like to call Christendom the professors. But the Holy Ghost Church, which is scattered abroad all over the earth, they possess the kingdom. And there is a really neat parallel between the letters of Revelation and secular church history, which follows suit with Genesis chapter 11 here. Men begin to build a name for themselves instead of exalting the name of Jesus. Men have unholy ambition. God confounds and he scatters. And you can see that all through church history. So, God is taking all the languages that he split up and he's bringing the church into one new spiritual language. Now, I want to quickly give a little discourse on five reasons you should speak in tongues. Amen. All right? Five reasons you should speak in tongues. The first reason is, is that Jesus said it will be a sign. Go to Mark 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Mark 16, 17, and let's just start at 15. It says, and he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. What shall follow a believer? Signs. signs. Here's the signs that follow them that believe. 
In my name, they will cast out devils. In my name, they shall speak with new tongues. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Say new tongues. New tongues tongues is the language of the spirit, which they were speaking on the day of Pentecost. All right. So Jesus said it is a sign and it is a sign. It makes the unbeliever scratch his head, confounds him and says, what meaneth this? And of course, they're going to say, what meaneth this? All right. Because the second reason why you should speak in tongues. Well, let me don't get me ahead of myself here. Well, let's go there since my train of thought is there. Number two. Another reason you must speak in tongues is that you speak not unto man, but unto God. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. All right, look at this. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaks not unto man, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. All right? They speak mysteries. Now, when these guys at Pentecost heard them speaking in tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, they heard them praising God in their own language. But it wasn't a, it wasn't an, it, there, there wasn't conversion yet, and we'll get to that in Peter's sermon. But they just heard mysteries. They were speaking mysteries. You speak unto God, not unto man. People get so caught up with unbelievers. That's why people say, oh, you know, we're not going to speak in tongues in this meeting. There may be unbelievers coming in here. Well, we're not speaking to unbelievers. We're speaking unto God. God gave the one spiritual language for believers, and it is a sign, Jesus said, to those that believe, and we're speaking unto God. God has gifted us with a language, a secret code, where we speak unto God and not unto man. And guess what? If we speak unto God, we ain't speaking unto the devil either, because the devil don't understand tongues. He doesn't understand tongues. So... You speak unto God, not unto man. And why, do, why is this good, this divine communication? Reason number three, you edify yourself. All right, look at, stay, stay in the same chapter, verse four. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. All right? So when you speak in an unknown tongue, you're building up your spirit, man. Now, I've shared this story before. One time I was in a service, and a guy started speaking, singing, and he started speaking in tongues. And then he was speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden, he started singing a new song, a melody in English. He was speaking in tongues, and then he started singing in English. And the preacher said, well, the tongue was like you know, like 10 minutes. I mean, he was going for it. It was long. But the song was like two minutes. So the length of the tongue and the length of the song were not the same. So it wasn't a translation. 
The preacher said what's happened there is, is the tongues were him edifying himself that he may prophesy in song. To get boldness, to tap into the spirit, to get out of the flesh, to get out of your mind that says, what are you doing up here? Why are you doing this? Why are, you, why are you here? You have no, or the condemnation. You're not good enough to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, you're right. I'm not good enough, but the Holy Ghost is. Amen. amen. And so you speak in tongues to edify yourself, to get, to get the boldness, to get active, get tapped into the Holy Ghost. Amen. So the next reason is, is that also you pray the will of the Father. Romans 8, 26. So we got reasons why we should speak in tongues. Jesus said it shall be a sign to those that believe. When we speak in an unknown tongue, we're speaking unto God and not unto man. It's a divine communication. It also edifies ourselves. It builds our faith. It helps us tap into the spirit realm. And also, we pray the will of God. Earlier, he said we speak mysteries. Romans 8, 26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. We just know we need to pray. We feel it in our spirit to pray, but we have no idea what to pray. I always know when I don't know what to pray because all I can usually say is, oh, Lord, just bless them. Just bless them, Lord. Bless them. And that's okay, but that ain't really getting it done. And all of a sudden, you start speaking in tongues, and you feel the unction of the Spirit kick in. And as you're speaking in tongues, you're tapping in more. And there have been times when I speak in tongues during prayer, then all of a sudden, I'll get like a thought or a, a sentence of what I actually should be praying in English. And when I, man, you speak that out in English, man, and all of a sudden, man, the joy of the Lord hits you, or man, you start talking kung fu tongues, like a tongue you've never even spoken before. You know, I mean, just a a wild tongue. You know, because you're just really, you're in it. You've, You've tapped into something, all right? So it says we don't know what to pray, as we ought to, but... The Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be what? Uttered. Who gave the utterance? The Spirit gave the utterance. When we're praying and we know not what to pray, the same Spirit gives the utterance with groanings which can't be understood. Sometimes there's been in prayer meetings, people are just groaning. You know, Jesus walked in this during Lazarus' tomb. When he saw the people all completely dismissed, he groaned. So the Spirit, praying in tongues, helps us pray God's will. And then the last reason we should pray in tongues, it is is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost. We see this already in Acts chapter 2. Everywhere the Holy Ghost was being filled, look what you see. We did Acts 2, so go to Acts 10.44. Look at Acts 10.44. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. 
This is where Peter is, this is where the first Gentile conversion full of the Holy Ghost here. And in Acts chapter 10, at verse 44, let's read this. While Peter yet spoke these words, what words? He sp- if you read the uh, previous verses, he preached Christ to them, all right? He preached Christ to them, and while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on how many? All. all. There's that all again. Not just some, all them which heard the word. That's why it's so important to preach the word. You got to preach the word. The Holy Ghost loves it when the word is preached. The Holy Ghost loves it in worship when Jesus name is lifted up. When you exalt Jesus, when Jesus goes up, the Holy Ghost comes down. Amen. And when the word is preached, people are filled with the Holy Ghost. And they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. Now, here's some more people being astonished. Why? Because they thought that this was only for the circumcision or the Jews. And many, as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Underline gift. How did they know the Holy Ghost was poured out? How did they know that gift was in, was in action here? For they heard them speak with tongues. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. All right? So Peter's like, wow, this happened to us back in chapter 2. Now the same thing is happening to Cornelius and his family. They're speaking in tongues. So it is initial evidence of, of, of being filled. All right? Now listen. Go to one more place before I get on a, a soapbox about this. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. And now Paul, he 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 closes the deal. Paul knows how important it is for every disciple to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so he said... He didn't say, have you heard about Jesus? Because Jesus is at the, at the right hand of God now. Holy Spirit is now on earth. So you need to know who the Holy Spirit is. He's in charge now on earth. Have you heard of the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto them, we have not so much as heard whether there is any Holy Ghost. They haven't even heard of Holy Ghost. Verse 3. And then he said, well, man, well, what, where have you been baptized into? And they said unto John's baptism. So they're still way back in the Gospels with John, the baptizer. And he said, under John's baptism, and look what Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. So John's baptism was all about getting your heart right, turning towards God, and speaking what God is speaking. See, there are many people in the church, they, have, they, they are in church, they're not even agreeing with God's word. When God says, don't fornicate, they're trying to make excuses of why it's okay to fornicate. So they haven't been baptized in John's baptism. They're not agreeing with God's word. They're not saying, look, I've got this problem, God. I know it's a problem because your word says I shouldn't be doing it. That's the first stage. But now that I've got this problem, what, I, what can I do about it? 
What must I do to be saved? And then he goes on here and he says, And he said unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, John the Baptist, which is on Christ Jesus. All right? So he preaches Christ. And verse 5 says, And when they heard this, they were baptized into the what? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So they knew God's ways, but they didn't know how they could be free from their sin until they realized there's a Savior. They didn't even know Jesus was the Savior that would forgive sin. And then when they believed that Jesus forgave sin and they were baptized in his name, right? Then Paul laid his hands upon them and the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spoke with what? Tongues. As the initial evidence that they had been filled with the Holy Ghost and they prophesied. Now we remember talking about it in Numbers 11, how... God said to Moses, I will put my, your spirit, I will put it upon 70 elders. And out of them 70 elders, there were two men that stayed in the camp and prophesied who were full of the Holy Ghost. To the point where they were so powerful in the Holy Ghost that was upon them, the disciples and the people, even Joshua was like, Moses, we got to stop these guys. They're having better church services than you. And Moses said, are you envious for my sake because God's moving through these individuals? He said, I wish to God that every single one of you guys were prophesying. I wish that the Holy Spirit would fall upon everybody. Amen. And that's God's heart, that every single head in this church building would have a flame over it, that every one of us would speak in tongues and every one of us would prophesy. Amen. That's God's will. To speak in tongues, the language that unifies us with the Holy Ghost and prophesy that preaches and converts the lost. So, back in Acts 2 then, that's exactly what happens. And this is where people always get it confused. They think it's one or the other. You know, well, you know, the unbelievers, they don't understand tongues, so, you know, we just, we just gonna preach a word that they'll understand. In other words, prophesy. No, prophesy and speak in tongues. You don't have to choose. You do both. And Paul told us decently in order. And everybody always tries to throw out tongues for the decently in order. And in the decently order, they try to throw out the tongues. And in that whole exhortation, which Paul's talking about in Corinthians chapter 14, he concludes with this, Corinthians 14, 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. You should want to prophesy. You should want to preach. You should want to exhort in the language that, of the country you live in. But in doing that, forbid not to speak with tongues. And I challenge every one of you guys here today within the sound of my voice. You put a mark on the people that try to forbid you from speaking in tongues. Because there's something not right there. Okay? The Holy Ghost, it's his, he's in charge. It's Jesus' church. He knows how to do things decently in order. If we all who are one in the spirit with the same spiritual language know how to flow in the Holy Ghost. Amen? 
But you should not go around telling people not to speak in tongues because you don't know whether they're edifying themselves. You don't know whether they're uh, speaking to the Lord, praying about something. You have no idea what's going on in that person. You're just embarrassed, or I just keep saying you. I don't know why I'm pointing you guys out. You're all here tonight. But people just get embarrassed that it's going to offend somebody. I'll close with this story. Last one day, we went to Athens to get Olivia in a church. And this is a great story. I love this story. So I, that's why I tell it a lot. We were in this church, and it was a, a, it was a nice church. had a good feeling to it. But we were, we were there, and we were kind of checking it out for our daughter, as you do. So all of a sudden, during worship, Catherine, man, just starts speaking in tongues. I mean, loud. And I, I, I confess, I was a little bit, well, what the heck's going on here, man? What are you doing? I mean, not necessarily for the people around us. I was not wanting to freak our daughter out. I was like, man, you're going to freak Olivia out, man. She's going to think, what in the world's going on here? But she was speaking in tongues, man. And, uh, and so, uh, so afterwards, I was talking to Catherine, and I said, what, what are you you're speaking in tongues like that? And she said, she said, I just had to see if somebody would come up to me and forbid me not to speak in tongues. She said, because if they did, then I knew this probably wasn't the place for Olivia. And nobody came up and forbid her to speak in tongues. And actually, the couple next to her, who I was kind of wondering if they think we're like radical here, maybe they're in the wrong service here, man. They, she, the lady actually came up to Kat and she said, oh, it was so good to hear somebody speak in tongues. I said, man, it's great church. It's a great church, you know? And so, so remember those reasons. And let's not get it. Let's don't get hung up on it. Because trust me, it's been, it's been a problem. People hung up on it. And hey, man, there's good people out there That's who right. say they don't need tongues. Well, I just say, hey, you're a good person, but you're missing out on the yes, next level. You, I mean, there are guys that don't speak in tongues, and they're getting stuff done. Can you imagine how much they could get done if they did speak in tongues? Amen. I mean, it would be incredible. So, you know, no matter who the person is, no matter what the works that they're doing, I'm going to listen to Jesus first, Paul second. And Paul never in the scriptures, you know, he told the Corinthians when they were little, hey, man, you know, some things you need to add and add and think about here. You know, he gave instruction. Praise God. Hallelujah. So next week, we see the tongues. Now we'll see Peter asking, what meaneth this? And then, once Peter prophesies, what meaneth this? And he uses the Bible, we'll see a great harvest of souls. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor.